Greetings to each of you in Christ's name this morning. It is a privilege to again be together. And uh, I just want to acknowledge, I see Lowell here. I don't see your family here, though. You're alone, so. Um, well, I'd like to thank you, and especially thank you for coming. Um, it's always easier to go somewhere else for church when your family's with you. But <laughs> God bless you for coming. And uh, I just, another one I just uh, noticed um, Jonathan and David this morning as I walked in and it's good to have you here this morning and I just want to wish God's blessing on you for um, being here for your mother. Just appreciate that as a church here. This morning uh, your bulletin said that uh, we have a council message this morning and just going back a little bit um, thinking of counsel, uh, thinking of, of searching our hearts, and I think we've been through about a week of, of searching our hearts in revival meetings. We have been blessed to, um, I guess you could say, we've been having counsel messages. Uh, Brother Marvin was here, he was faithful in bringing the messages that God had given to him for us. And I trust that God has been at work in our lives. And this morning, I, I guess maybe I don't have, uh, just with that in mind, I don't have quite a typical council message. And yet I do want to encourage that we continue to search and to seek our hearts as we Consider where we are at with the Lord and with mankind and with, with the church. And I'm going to invite you this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And in this passage, there's, there's a verse that just stands out to me. Um, this is actually, I, I will mention a, a passage that in school, uh, possibly in high school, but I can't remember for sure, uh, would have been a passage that we memorized. And so it's, it's one of those passages that um, I guess with having memorized it, it, it has a, a special place in my heart. But yes, verse 2 there, set your affection on things above is uh, it, it, just a verse that stands out to me and um, be looking at that um, towards the beginning here as well as towards the end of the message again. So I'd like to begin by reading the first four verses. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Verse 1 brings out being risen with Christ. 
risen from the old nature, risen up to life in Christ. And then, skipping over to verse 3, it says, Ye are dead, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, we see that there. Ye are dead, and if ye be risen. Just two verses apart there. Being dead and being risen. And I was um, just looking at a couple other passages. Uh, just back from here, Colossians 2.12 says that we are buried with him in baptism. So that would be signifying death there. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So there again we have that death and that life together. And then another passage, uh, a familiar passage, Romans chapter 6. I just want to, I'll pick out one verse there. But we have those verses talking about um, being dead to sin and uh, baptized into Christ's death and being in the likeness of his death, just there, being crucified. Our old man is crucified with him. And then we come down to verse 11. He says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dead to sin, alive to God. You know, one needs to die in order to rise. We think of Jesus. First, he died. Then, he rose again. And we can compare that with our, our physical body. Our physical body dies, will die, and will then release our souls to live through eternity. And then the soul is the spiritual part that receives life through Christ. Our old nature and the spiritual part of us are housed in the same body and one will be alive. We're called to be dead to sin, alive to Christ. Then moving on to verse 2, we have the word affection. Set your affection on things above. And that word affection... Maybe not exactly the word affection as we read it in English, but the word that is used for affection is found numerous times in different words that are translated into English throughout the New Testament. And uh, just thought I'd bring a couple of those out here. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, um, Peter, I believe it was in verse 22, but Peter had rebuked um, Jesus for talking about his, his crucifixion coming. And Jesus said to Peter, he told Peter that he doesn't savor the things that are of God. That word savor is also the same word as affection here. But rather, the things that be of man. So savoring. Uh, some other words are, are think, mind. Romans 5 verse 8 
says that they that are after the flesh do mind the things that are of the flesh. Also, again, mind, the, the same word as affection here. And then Romans 14.6, the word regard, um, talks about regarding, one person regards one day above another, and the, the same word there as affection. Set your affection, your mind, your thoughts, the things that are important to you. Set those things on the things that are above. What are the things that you, what are the things that I think about? And if we go back to verse 1, we are called to seek the heavenly things, the things that are above. I'm going to leave that verse for the moment, coming back to that towards the end here. But going on to the next five verses, verses 5 through 9, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And we're kind of, kind of stopping here in a little bit of a thought maybe, but thought is kind of changing in verse 10, so um, we're going to just pause here. In verse 5, he uses the word mortify. And we at times might use the word mortify. We might be mortified something that happened. This is used more in the way of putting to death or putting off, getting rid of, putting off the members which are upon the earth, getting rid of them. And the members there, that would be, as it's used there, referring to members of the body. But we could think here about those members which are upon the earth as the evil passions, the evil desires that are a part of our humanity. They need to be put to death. How can we be dead and yet need to mortify? As we think of physical death, physical death is ordered by God. Physical death is final. But as we think of death to the flesh or death to our own wills, that is a choice of our own to die to self. And it's also possible by choice to pick up our wills after we've laid them down. 
That word mortify is not a once and done and final word. It's a continual needs to happen. Continuing to mortify. Continue to need to put to death those things which it says are upon the earth. And he lists here a, a number of, of sins, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is really idolatry. And I think we could, we could group these here as the, the lustful, the immoral and sensual activities and thoughts that, um, that are committed. Uh, the word covet there could, just looking at some of the commentaries, they would have kind of separated covetousness a little bit here um, from, from the other um, sins of the, the lustful sins here. Yet I think it could fit in there very well as well. But um, covet would be the thought of setting our heart on something that we want, which is idolatry. And that is so prevalent in our society, in, in the world today. Verses 8 and 9 bring out some more sins then. Um, but maybe we, we might tend to, maybe you'd say they may look a little softer. Anger and wrath. I think we understand um, what those are, anger and wrath. Uh, malice, he brings out, which uh, could be referring, uh, would be referring to evil. Malice, uh, blasphemy, which would be evil speaking against God or against man. And filthy communication and lying then in verse 9. Again, called to put off all sin. Um, not just separating some that are maybe more okay, but all sin needs to be dealt with and mortified within our lives. And I think we all understand, we all know that putting off the flesh is not an easy thing to do. The flesh rather enjoys pleasing itself. But we need the power of God. And along with that, we need conscious effort put forth to mortify the flesh. Now the next number of verses talk about putting on. Um, I had a little comparison here with putting off and putting on, and uh, I had no idea that Lowell was going to be here this morning, but uh, if your house roof is leaking, you need to do something about it. You need to call Lowell, or you need a new roof. You, so your roof is leaking, it's not good anymore, so you take it off. Okay, you take those junky shingles off, and 
Um, you, you get rid of them because they are no good anymore. But you don't stop there. You put new shingles on or whatever you use for your roofing material. You fix that roof. You want a good roof on your house. And how can we compare that to our lives? You know, we attempt to put off the flesh. We attempt to put off the old deeds. But is that where we stop? You know, if you take the old roof off and put nothing back on, it leaks worse than it leaked before. But how often do we live in this put-off mode and we don't get to the put-on? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, 43 to 45, Jesus said, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And whence he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in, and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. You know, that's a sobering set of verses there. I have a, just a, a situation that I relate to these verses here. I have an uncle who would have been a part of the church where um, my family would have been through some of my younger years. And I, I don't know the reasons why. I think it happened when I was fairly young, but he was excommunicated from the church there. And uh, he and his wife would have, would have left and um, would have attended. I don't know if they'd ever joined, but attended at another um, church in the, in the area there. And my family had moved away then. It was some years had gone by. And I heard that my uncle had again made a, a commitment, committed his life to Christ, and that he was, um, seemed a changed man. He was working at um, restitution and and just endeavoring to live for the Lord again. And uh, was back at the church where he had been a part of, where he had been excommunicated. And, and his wife was, was with him there at the church. But then some time went by and um, heard that things weren't going so well. And... Um, not sure what all happened in there, but uh, came to the point where um, his his wife would have left the home. Um, I 
believe it would have been for safety reasons. And I, I don't know what all happened in that time from when he recommitted his life to the Lord till things really uh, went downhill again. But the question comes to me, was he filling his heart? Was he putting on or was he simply putting off? I don't know all the answers to those questions. That man is not in a, a good um, state of emotion and life at this point in life. And my understanding is that he is probably at a worse place than he was before. But just, just a very sobering thought to me that when I put off, what am I putting on? I'd like to read verses 10 through 17 at this point. And have put on, let's, let's go back to verse 9. Ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You have put on the new man. We have the word there, renewed. The new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Romans 12, 2 uses the word transformed being made into a new man. And that's the man who, in verse 1, is risen with Christ. We have become a changed person, having new desires. A person who knows God personally and coming away from the ignorance of the truth. The renewed man finds his identity in Christ in verse 11, it, it brings out um, racial and cultural uh, and, and so on, those barriers. Um, there is neither Greek nor Jew in Christ. There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, not a barbarian nor a Scythian, not bond nor free, but Christ 
Our identity we find in Christ. And I'm thankful that as God's children that we don't face those racial or cultural barriers. And even we can bring it down to family barriers. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your last name is. But as we are Christ, we experience a unity in Christ. And, yes, a unity with one another. The call in verses 12 through 13, just a number of words there, uh, forbearance, forgiveness, um, love, and, okay, back in verse 12, um, yeah, I missed verse 12 there, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, and all in a heart of love. And this is the call for the new man in Christ, to have a love and a compassion for others that rules our lives. In uh, a couple years ago in school for the program, there was a song, um, the title of it was Less of Me. Think a little more of others and a little less of me. I believe that those words were in the chorus. And that's our call as brothers and sisters in Christ to practice lifting up each other, to have that mercy, that kindness, that forbearance and forgiveness for one another. And I just had to think if we would, if we do practice, all of these, mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and love. How, what are the effects that that has on the church, on the children of God, and on our own lives, if we are endeavoring to practice these as the new man? Verse 15 calls us to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. That word rule there, um, the literal meaning there would be to sit as umpire. Let the peace of God rule or sit as umpire in your lives, making the calls, directing your lives. As we live in peace with God and in unity with the brotherhood, we can experience that peace. It can rule in our lives. I believe that every person on earth wants the peace that God's people experience. They may never guess that that's how you find it in surrender to Christ. But that is a peace that I believe everyone wants to have. Verse 16, the renewed man has a capacity for the word of Christ within him. 
And I trust that we are making the word of Christ, the word of God, a part of our lives. And he brings out there teaching and admonishing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I trust that we know when our hearts are filled with the things of God, what a blessing it is, what a peace we experience, a joy that we experience. And I, I think of those times, um, and my life isn't always a life of, of joy and, and singing, but those times when there is a song on my heart and when I can just freely let it out, um, just how, how wonderful, what a blessing that is in our lives. And then finally, verse 17 there, bringing out, um, doing all, everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'd just like to back up here to thinking about verse 2 again. Setting our affection on things above. I believe that that's where the Christian life ought to be at all times. Um, but I, I confess for my life, it is not always there. My affections on things above. My mind went to, I'm not sure if I'm saying this last name correctly, but a man by the name of Simon Stylites, does that name ring a bell to anyone, um, was a, an ascetic who um, the, the belief would have been to kind of bring down the pleasures of life and not enjoy the enjoyable things of life, maybe to make hardships and so on, to attempt to be more spiritual. And this Simon lived on a pillar with a platform on it. Um, understanding that for a time he lived on a, a pillar that was six feet high and um, later moved to a 50-foot pillar with a platform. And I believe he was on, I don't know if it was one of those pillars or, or between the two of them, but for about 37 years that that's where he lived, denying himself the pleasures of, of life and um, I believe an attempt to be more spiritual and probably an attempt to set his affection on those things that are above. Unfortunately, I'm sure it was at the expense of some other people. Um, and I really don't believe that that is what God calls us to, to just to bring suffering and pain um, to attempt to do that or discomfort. In the uh, Robertson's Word Pictures commentary, he says that Paul does not mean that we should never think the things upon the earth, but that these should not be our aim, our goal, our master. And this next sentence kind of stood out to me. The Christian has to keep his feet upon the earth, but his head in the heavens. He must be heavenly minded here on earth, and so help to make earth like heaven. I thought that was quite, quite accurate. We are on this earth. 
God placed us here on this earth. And, you know, we've, we've heard the, at least I've heard the, the little saying that someone is um, so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. And I, I'm not sure that's really an accurate statement, uh, a way to put it. But as we're here on this earth, we are called to, to live our lives here, to fulfill our responsibilities. When God placed Adam on the earth, he told him to take care of the garden, to dress it. He gave him work. He gave him responsibilities to do. And we're still on this earth having responsibilities. It, we're not going to read on in the chapter here, but it talks about family relationships and those responsibilities we have. It talks about servant and master relationships and, and how to, to work with those. But are our hearts set on these responsibilities that we have? Are our hearts set on that or are we seeing beyond you know I think of of in the work relationship about caring more about the customer's heart than about his about your reputation or about your wallet maybe and uh, I just appreciated brother Marvin sharing here about some experiences he had where it was obvious that he was not um, going to do anything and everything to make every dollar he could but he even when he didn't see it the way the customer did, he did give the customer the benefit of the doubt at times. Caring about their heart more than their wallet and caring about the testimony of the Lord as well. I have been um, just challenged recently in um, just, just a question, how? How to set my affection on things above. And I just say it again, I feel so earthly-minded at times. Um, and just uh, recently, I was inspired to, to in that, in an attempt, an endeavor, to become more, um, to set my affections on things above, to, to work at memorizing scripture and um, in starting that and kind of in preparation here, I wanted to review my memory work here on Colossians 3. And at school, I, I just I laid my Bible open to have that there so I could look there. And the way my Bible is set up at school, um, the page I was turned on to, the um, first words I came to were, For ye are dead for ye are dead. And I, I kept coming back to that, for ye are dead. And I'd go on, come back, and there it was, for ye are dead. That was a challenge to me. Am I dead? Am I continuing to put off those members which are upon the earth What is my time 
and my mind filled with. And you know it can be perfectly legitimate things that we need to think about. But are my affections on those things? Am I taken up? Am I overtaken by those things that, that would draw me from an affection for Christ? And uh, just think of, just relating back to last week, again, of um, the message on our mind, our thoughts. And we need to continue to fight against those earthly and, and wrong things that would come to our minds and continue to put our minds on Christ. Came across a... a um, in the Calvary Messenger, just a, a little bit of a writing. He's talking about how we see life in the here and now. It's Sometimes it's a little hard to connect eternity with right now. Sometimes we may see eternity as something out in the distance, something that is a reality, but that's coming in time. And, and so, therefore, we, we tend to get caught up in time. This is what we know. But the challenge was given that eternity is right now. Eternity, God's kingdom, is here now. And I bring that into the thought of affections. Where are my affections? Are they eternal affections right here and right now in time? This morning, where are your affections? And as we consider preparation for communion, where are your affections? Where are my affections? Where is my heart? I trust, I want to encourage that we search our hearts. And the, the three questions that we, we look for to answer are the question, do I have peace with God and man? Do I desire to support the church? And do I have a desire for a communion? And I believe if our affections are in the right place, that we should be able to answer yes to all three of these. So again, I just want to um, challenge and encourage as we go through the next days, as we prepare for counsel, I certainly don't want to underlook, or overlook, I'm sorry, overlook um, a thorough search of our personal lives. I want to do that for myself. I want to encourage you to do that. And where we find where our affection towards God, towards the things of God, are not where they should be. Maybe they've grown cold. Or maybe we've allowed other things to crowd them away. Let's look to God. Let's seek His work within our lives. 
And may we keep our feet on this earth, but our hearts with God. Let's kneel for prayer.